bonds, many bonds can trade very poorly. So corporate bonds today, it's not just a matter of default risk or how what you think about company XYZ, what you think about the equity market. In terms of deciding what the right price is, you have to also think about liquidity on the way out and whether in a recession or in a time of stress, as as the markets have been going through lately because of the banking issue, uh, how they how they'll trade. You're listening to IBKR Podcasts. Find more conversations at ibkrpodcasts.com. Please remember any trading discussions are for information purposes only and are not intended to portray recommendations. Please listen to further disclosures at the end of today's episode. Now, welcome to our show. Welcome to another weekly episode of IBKR Podcasts. My name is Andrew Wilkinson. Today's guest is Tony Crescenzi from the New York office of PIMCO. Tony is an executive vice president market strategist and general portfolio manager for PIMCO. And he's also an accomplished author about fixed income and all things related to money and bond markets. Welcome, Tony. I'm delighted that you can join us. Thanks so much, Andrew. I'm also joined by Interactive Brokers Chief Strategist, Steve Sosnick. Steve, for the sake of putting today's recording in context, can you describe some of the turmoil in the market as background to today's recording? Yes, just because I don't know when uh, listeners will be hearing this. It's it's the it's it's Wednesday, March fifteenth that we're taping this. Markets are wrestling with the news that uh, the largest shareholder of Credit Suisse, the Sa- the Saudis, are not putting any more money in. It's the latest in a string of bad news uh, about banks and um, you know potential bank troubles, as opposed to. Silicon Valley Bank, uh, you know, which which was a fairly fast-moving decline, and 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 Signature Bank, which which happened over the weekend uh, when people didn't even notice until Monday, really. This has been going on for quite some time, uh, but it's much larger and much more systemically important. Uh, and so, as we're taping this, uh, we're seeing um, S and P down by about one and three quarters percent. We're seeing two-year notes, you know, well below four percent at the moment, and basically commodities commodities falling. Uh, a wide range of dislocations in the market today. Nice color. Tony, let me turn back the clock to a piece that you wrote in January of this year, which at the time I felt perfectly described the landscape for bonds, let's say well into the monetary tightening cycle. You said the repricing of yields has vastly improved the allure of bonds, which in 2023 seemed likely to provide investors with the traditional benefits of income, diversification, and capital preservation. That was from your strategic bond investor, January the 18th, 2023. Can you elaborate on that great quote and bring investors up to date? Thank you, Andrew, and um, thank you for having me again. And uh, Steve just referred to a few areas of um, tension in the stock market that relate to the problems in the banking system. Uh, And we can bring that right back into the points about the bond market in the sense that we can contrast the reaction of late in the bond market to the stock market to 2022 when everything went down. Of late, we've seen a better correlation as as it's put. Uh, typically, of course, when stock prices fall, bond prices rise and vice versa, at least historically. That wasn't the case in 2022. Last year, 2022 probably could be seen as an anomaly of sorts with the repricing related to the removal of near $19 trillion of bonds globally from negative yielding status. Uh, think of the German Bund, 10-year Bund, at minus 50 basis points. Uh, what investor will want to own a bond yielding minus 50 basis points again, given the deep negative returns they experience? Today, though, 
Andrew, and this is part of the point about the return of income, there is income to offset the potential for losses in prices and rising yields, and uh, therefore uh, a better climate for investors. To sum up, though, uh, in looking at the recent data on where yields are, and they're swinging around in a great in great movement, um, the Bloomberg aggregate, which is one way to look at the bond market in aggregate, because it's a compilation of treasuries and mortgages and corporate bonds and asset-backed securities, it had been in the mid to high 4% area. Relative to history, that's pretty good. And it's also higher than what markets think the future inflation rate will be, which is somewhere in the twos. And it's also pretty good relative to typical volatility in the bond market, call it 5 6%. So if you compare the near 5% yield that existed recently to the 5% volatility, you get a good ratio. Contrast that uh, further to the stock market, where returns tend to be mid to high single digits, but with volatility in the teens. And so the risk reward story looks pretty good for bonds today. I'm going to throw the next question over to Steve. Tony, that 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 segues into to the next question, which would be define the aims of investing in bonds. And, and, you know, a lot of our listeners tend to be equity focused. Please, you know, please explain to them what an investor should be looking for in bonds as opposed to equities and, and you, you you know you mentioned the risk reward trade off before but but other you know other objectives that someone might have in in, in bond investing today i'm thinking of uh, one of my favorite movies it's a wonderful life with jimmy stewart uh, there's a scene in the movie that's critical to the outcome where there's a run on the bank the Bailey building and loan if I, if I may of, interrupt for one yeah, second, I literally linked to that clip in the piece I wrote today. <laughs> <laughs> Apropos, uh, because there are so many photos like that, if not fiction, but real, including one in 1907. Anyone can Google this. The banking panic of 1907. Lots of people on the street standing in front of Federal Hall, which, of course, is where George Washington was inaugurated across the street from the New York Stock Exchange. A big run on the bank that ultimately led to the creation of the Federal Reserve in 1913. So how does all this relate to your question? Well, in terms of the aims of investing in bonds, one uh, doesn't want to be in that crowd, stuck in that crowd, trying to get his or her money back. Uh, and so investing in bonds today, especially in the context of the recent banking stress, means protecting capital, especially for individuals with money uh, that exceeds what's uh, currently insured in the banking system. Of course, the FDIC insurance is only at, I say only, because there are lots of deposits above these levels, uh, $250,000. And one quick statistic uh, there's the FDIC, the insurance corporation, of course, that, that um, supplies insurance to depositors, has about $130 billion in hand from money that's collected over time. But there's $10 trillion of insured deposits. And so that math doesn't work so well, unless, of course, it's a blanket um, guarantee and uh, that would take an act of Congress. And so rather than get up caught up in all that in the crowds that uh, amass in times of stress and investor seeks out uh, the safety of bonds um, because the, the odds of getting money back eventually are high. One quick footnote, consider, for example, a triple B rated bond, which is the lowest rated investment grade bond. There's triple A, double A, single A, then triple B. Uh, historically, according to Moody's, the default rate is 0.1%, meaning that uh, in any given year, an investor on average in a triple B rated bond will have a 99.9% chance of getting his or her 
money back. And so for many investors, especially today with the older society on average than in the past, investors want to go up in the capital structure, as they say, up where there's more safety uh, in that sense, especially in a time of stress as markets and the public is going through currently. Tony, not all bonds are the same. What are some characteristics that investors should consider looking at? The easiest one, Andrew, to point to is, of course, the maturity. Different maturities behave differently in different times, but your listeners are pretty sophisticated and understand that a longer-term dated bond will tend to move faster in price than a shorter dated bond. That's the so-called duration risk. So the duration on a 10-year note will tend to be around 10, and a two-year note around two. Uh, That means if the yields move a percentage point, 10-year price um, has the potential to move 10%. We all saw that last year. So there's potential for a lot of movement, uh, whereas the two-year would move a lot less in price. But that's the easy one to look at. And of course, you want to consider where the U.S. is in the economic cycle when deciding on which security to invest. Investors in the past week or so, in the time of stress related to the banking sector stress uh, have been choosing the two-year note, which had, has had wild swings. For example, uh, just recently that the two-year treasury was yielding 5.1%, but it's fallen down to 4.1%. That yield decline is far greater than the yield decline that has been seen in the 10-year. Now, the price movement smaller. As I mentioned, there's a duration element there, but there has been significant outperformance. That outperformance relates to something called convexity. Convexity. So meaning what's the second order of movement um, when there is movement? Certain things, certain bonds will move faster than others when prices are moving. Uh, a major example and an important asset for fixed income investors is agency mortgage-backed securities, which have the implicit guarantee of the U.S. government, highly liquid, high-quality securities, therefore, but they can be highly difficult to predict in terms of movement. And because of that, when interest rates are volatile, they've been volatile the past year, agency mortgage-backed securities might underperform underperform treasuries. And they did. Last year, for example, agency MBS yielded two points more than treasuries. Uh, and typical spread is under one point. Today, it's about 150. So there was significant underperformance related to convexity which is to say investors didn't re- couldn't predict how many Americans would refinance their mortgages, uh, buy and sell homes to get rid of mortgages that ex- are in existence. And there's a cost to that, so-called convexity cost that affected how they performed. Now, it takes a lot of sophistication to understand how they will. Even I don't fully understand my, by even I, I mean, I've been added, so to speak, in the bond market for decades, but I still can't fully grasp uh, mathematically how they will move. So one has to rely upon experts, typically those who have expertise in the mortgage realm. And I do I have the luxury of leaning on my colleagues for that, about 60 of them. But investors generally should be thinking about going to specialists in different areas. It could be municipal bonds, etc., uh, when um, looking for help in terms of understanding these little details. One final, final note, in the next cycle, meaning when interest rates decline, one key characteristic of a bond to consider is whether a bond has a call feature. Just This is just an illustration of how there's so many complexities. A call feature, meaning if yields decline, will company XYZ decide, hmm, well, this investor has a bond that we issued at 6%, and now I can issue bonds at 4 
I'm going to call them away. I'm going to get rid of those bonds, pay them is these investors back and refinance. So those call features can be detrimental when yields are declining. So lots of little details on bonds that require lots of attention. Final, final, final note is it means also having benchmark awareness, meaning what benchmark is being used in, in the bond fund that I'm in. Investors should be thinking about that because these benchmarks have lots of different characteristics themselves. By the way, just as a segue, thank you, thank you, Tony. But just one thing for for those of you who are who might be more familiar with options uh, than bonds, the way I like to talk about duration and convexity is duration is your delta and convexity is your gamma. The duration being the change the change in price to a change in the in the yield, and whereas convexity is the change the the change in delta that the, the change in duration that can occur over time so they're they're not exactly the perfect they're not exactly perfect but uh that's an analogy that that those I'll of you say. who might be less familiar with bonds might might find helpful tony uh, tony i want i want to skip uh, skip down the question list a little bit here your opinion on corporate credit spreads do you see them widening as rates increase and and this is this is great timing in t- in the context of what's happening in the market today with yields coming down but what, what, what's likely to happen with corporate credit spreads now? Well, one of the most important things to, to be thinking out in the post-GFC era, global financial crisis era, is the change in business models that has occurred amongst intermediaries, which is to say that the liquidity in corporate bonds has evaporated relative to the past. It was never high to begin with, and it's gotten worse over time. Uh, the principal agent model means where can investor XYZ uh, go to sell securities and who will buy from that investor. The intermediaries, the primary dealers, um, uh, they are, are the ones. But they've decided to begin playing a game of hot potato in the sense that they, they're no longer allowed or want to hold bonds in their inventory. Here's a quick example, and it can affect the, the how they trade and are valued, which is what I'm going to get at. Uh, in 2007, primary dealers. Uh, these are the major investment banks with big names that most of our listeners have um, heard of. Uh, they had $300 billion of corporate bonds uh, in, in their inventory. So they were holding them for various reasons, um, not to, to for an investment, but to trade and hopefully you know, buy and sell, make the, the, the price difference. Today, that, that holding is down to $7 billion. $7 billion. Even though the corporate bond market doubled in size to $10 trillion. So if an investor today wants to, to offload risk, in other words, say, I don't like the corporate bond market, get me out. Um, it's not easy because there isn't a willing buyer anymore to take the other side. The price that the investor gets could be far below the fair value. And that means um, one has to be very cautious about the, the liquidity aspect of it. Here's a really good example of that. In March 2020, Triple B-rated securities, which I mentioned earlier, have had a long-term default rate of 0.1%, 99.9% chance of getting your money back. Traded with an implied default rate, meaning where the prices were, uh, it seemed to suggest that the default rate could could rise. It was at 10 to 15%, substantially higher than the long-term default history, and of course a lot higher than the actual occurrence in the aftermath, although some could say that was because of all the government support. But the fact is that these bonds, many bonds, can trade very poorly. So corporate bonds today, it's not just a matter of default risk or how what you think about company XYZ, what you think about the equity market. In terms of deciding what the right price is, you have to also think about liquidity 
on the way out. And whether in a recession or in a time of stress, as as the markets have been going through lately because of the banking issue, uh, how they how they'll trade. Uh, it could be completely different from what company XYZ's prospects are. And so the credit spreads are more likely to, to widen than contract uh, in the time ahead because it looks like now, because of the banking story, that the uh, recession odds have increased somewhat. For all we know, we're reaching the point of a sudden stop. Not saying that'll happen, but meaning uh, we could see uh, many banks pull back on lending and affect the economy and it'll slow down. And so be ca- cautious about the credit. Stay high in quality uh, because uh, the, the lower quality securities will get hurt the most. As, as a quick follow-up to that, that really sounds to me as though it's very important for investors in bonds to do their best to match their um, asset, their assets to their liabilities. So meaning that that if they've got if they've got needs for the cash uh, going forward, you know they they should try they should try to find fixed income investments that that roughly match their anticipated liabilities. For example, you've got a kid going to college and in five years, maybe that's the part of the curve you should be looking for. Am I read? Am I list? Am I hearing that correctly, Tony? Very wise. Steve. I, I think that's a, a very good idea. We know that major companies do that with respect to the obligations they have. You can take a lesson there. Pension funds, etc., insurance companies expect to have certain liabilities at certain points in time, and they try to to match those liabilities best they can. And flows this year by those entities have been toward buying these uh, longer dated bonds to maturities to to match the liabilities. It's a great way to think and avoid the uh, headache, if you will, stomach ache, excuse your poison, uh, in times of uh, stress and just simply wait at, wait and hold to maturity, HTM. Tony, I, I, I wanted to ask you about your views on the yield curve. And my, my original question was going to be, do you expect it's normalized when the Fed kind of get somewhere close to finishing its tightening cycle. But j- just just tell us what you've got at this point. Where, where, where do you see the curve now? And what, where's it likely to head under the current volatile circumstances? The yield curve, uh, of course, will tend to steepen when the Federal Reserve cuts interest rates, uh, meaning that short maturities will see a, a decline in yield that is faster than the decline in yield if, if it's occurring in longer maturities. That's what's happened of late in response to the banking stress. That should be expected to continue if the Fed is set to cut interest rates. Uh, A big if, who knows, none of us can predict where confidence will be and whether those lines will form outside of banks. It's all a confidence game. But it's it's possible that the Fed cuts rates in response to that stress. But what it's faced with, of course, today is a high inflation rate and has to tend to that as well. So uh, Paul Volcker, the, the famous Fed chair from the 1979 through 87, um, he wrote a book called Keeping at It. Fed Chair Powell, the current Fed chair, said in August that there are three lessons of history regarding fighting inflation. One, take responsibility. Second, pay attention to how people feel about inflation, con- inflation expectations. And third, keep at it. He was quoting directly from Volcker. Keeping at it means uh, keeping the funds rate up. Uh, don't give in to pressure to cut rates, and thus, of course, is a major stress issue. We still don't know. But uh, if the Fed lets up too soon, and these were errors in the 60s and 70s, two different times, 1969, uh, the Fed 
in the mid 60s, the Fed cut rates too soon, had to go back at it, raise the policy rate to nine by 1969. Then, of course, uh, made similar mistakes in the late 70s, had to raise the policy rate to 20 percent. So the Fed would want to avoid that era, ensure that the bleeding is stopped, keep the finger on the gauze on the bleed and um avoid the rate cuts so that will limit any flat any steepening perhaps but so again a lot depends on the banking story but this if the market believes that the fed is going to cut rates by 100 basis points and that's what it's priced for as we speak this year 100 basis point cut (laughs) uh then it's going to take a a big stress point for that to happen and i i would wager against it. But ultimately, the action of the past number of weeks is the future. Uh, You will see short maturities, intermediate maturities outperforming longer ones. When the cycle's over, and the final, final word is, it's clear from the breaking, that the breakages that are occurring, that the breaking points are near uh, for what the Fed need do and accomplish. And so the time to buy short and intermediate maturities probably has arrived, although there's some issues now with that discounting for rate cuts. You know, leading into that, Tony, one of my theses is that when you have short, when markets have real trouble pricing short-term assets, and I'll I'll point to the two-year as sort of the as sort of the poster child for this. If the mark, if markets are having trouble pricing relatively risk-free assets. What hope do we have to be able to avoid volatility in riskier assets? Do you do you sort of follow that premise? Um, you know, either when it comes to you know credit bonds with some with with longer credit risk or longer duration, or you know, or other asset classes. It's a great way to think about things. Uh, Pemco has had a framework since the early 2000s. Uh, it's, it's, it's a graphic that we have called the concentric circles. At the center of this can picture just a, like a solar system. At the center, rather than the sun, are the risk-free assets, the treasuries and repo, etc. Those riskless, we think, <laughs> and hope, <laughs> assets. At the perimeter, at the very end, edge, of course, the riskiest assets, and you could imagine what those are, call them junk bonds, etc. Uh, equities are somewhere out. They're certainly not in the center because they're not risk-free. One could lose all of his or her money. So it's really important to uh, understand where the center of it all is. Certainly, if the sun were having a problem, we couldn't predict that on March 21st, it starts to get warm. Uh, we need to know that that's, it's just that part of the this, this solar system is is going to be uh, steady. Now, heading into this year, it looked like that was going to be the case, and it probably will still be the case. And think about 2022. This core was unsteady. The market thought 1% on the policy rate. It turned out to be 5%. But the market entered 2023 thinking 5%, and it's turning out it might be lower. It might be a touch higher. So the forecast miss in 2023 is already shaping up to be significantly smaller than last year, meaning the core is probably stabilizing. Yes, within a wild range of late related to stress uh, in the the system, but bonds are doing what we'd expect them to do, which is run up in price to see a decline in yield, which can be very big mitigant against stress at the perimeter. And so, um, so yes, it's tough to make predictions on where the two-year will be day in, day out. We've seen 50 basis point swings in both directions. Highly unusual, in fact, going back 40 years, in fact. But um, it's still trending toward a lower level. And that's good for the investor in equities and credit and everything else. It's just the problem is the reason for this volatility relates to macro uncertainty. And one final point, and it relates to this 
other thing called a Knightian uncertainty, which I'm sure you've heard of. Frank Knight in 1921 wrote a book on risk, profits, and uncertainty. And a phrase came from that called uh, a Knightian uncertainty. It's where the risks are so great that they can't be measured and, and price price discovery becomes impossible. That happened in 2008, for example. It's happening in the way some banks are trading lately. People just don't have enough information to make judgments. So reaching points of 19 uncertainty is causing lots of stress. So we've got to get out of this. Central bank can help us, we hope, because it is the lender of less resort with formidable tools. But and, and we can't it's hard to depend on that. So you just simply have to be in high quality asset, be a little bit closer to the core, work your way out if you think the coast is clear. I love that analogy of the solar system, especially you know because we know risk-free rates are at the basis, basically, of every pricing model. And I feel that a lot of times when I'm talking to equity investors, you know, they have let's say a pre-Copernicus view of the solar of the investment solar system, thinking they're at the center instead of one of the planets. <laughs> Brilliant. Thank you very much, Tony Crescenzi from Pimco uh, in the New York office, where he's the executive vice president market strategist and general portfolio manager. And a big thank you to Steve Sosnick for wandering into the office today and offering to sit and offer his insight. Thank you both, gentlemen. And don't forget, folks, look out for more podcasts at ibkrcampus.com and also on ibkrpodcast.com. See you next week. Thanks for listening to IBKR Podcasts. As always, we have more episodes at ibkrpodcast.com. And if you're interested in learning more about interactive brokers, visit ibkr.com. We offer more trading education materials such as webinars at ibkrwebinars.com, financial and economic commentary at tradersinsight.news, market-related courses at tradersacademy.online, and quant-related articles at ibkrquant.com. The analysis in this material is provided for information only and is not and should not be construed as an offer to sell or the solicitation of an offer to buy any security. To the extent that this material discusses general market activity, industry or sector trends, or other broad-based economic or political conditions, it should not be construed as research or investment advice. To the extent that it includes references to specific securities, commodities, currencies, or other instruments, those references do not constitute a recommendation by IBKR to buy, sell, or hold such investments. The material does not and is not intended to take into account the particular financial conditions, investment objectives, or requirements of individual customers. Before acting on this material, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular circumstances and is necessary, seek professional advice. Options involve risk and are not suitable for all investors. For more information, read the characteristics and risks of standardized options, or ODD, which may be accessed through the link found in the show's notes or podcast description page. 